0: The last day of our Southampton Roads Mission Project, a week from this past Friday, I was with our team in a neighborhood called Tidewater Gardens, and the Bible school had gotten started and we had a field full of children and things were moving along. And then I turned and saw a child that I had not seen all week. What caught my attention was this young man was standing there almost precariously. He had braces on his legs and running up on his uh, feet, I should say, and running up both legs. He had crutches, hand crutches that he was on to steady himself. And when he would walk, he would pull himself forward with those crutches. It was snack time with the particular small group that he had been assigned to and so when it came time for the snack all the kids sat down and we were sort of nervously standing there wondering how can we help this boy get seated. I learned his name was Michael and he was 13 years of age. Several of our workers came alongside of him and when he gave up the hand crutches they helped him get seated on the ground and then gave him his hot dog and so forth, and he began to talk and eat, etc. When I learned that he was 13 years of age, it bothered me that all the other teenagers out there were playing football, but there was no way this child could play football. And after he finished eating, we were trying to figure out how we could come around him and help him stand back up, and he flipped himself over in a crawling position and then pulled himself up, reached for his crutches, and then he took off across the field, and I, we were just sort of standing there in amazement at his ability to control himself and figure out how to get around. He came up to the tent where we were doing music, and I was standing there in front of him, and he reached over to get something, and we all sort of gasp in breath, because we thought he was getting ready to full, fall forward, because he looked like he was going to lose his balance. And what I began to realize as I watched him that afternoon as he went from what we call station to station Bible story and reading time etc is that Michael had a disabled body but he did not have a disabled spirit. He may have been weak in his body but that was the only place where Michael was weak. He was very strong in his spirit. And his disability was not going to hold him down. In fact, he was very curious. Everywhere he went, he had lots of questions that he was asking. And the spiritual work of gift that we're going to look at today, that spiritual fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5.22, is the gift of faithfulness. And the idea of faithfulness is an inner strength that we have to keep on serving the Lord when it gets tough. That though we may at times feel like we may be disabled in some capacity before the Lord, and what God wants to do in our lives, there is a strength that He builds inside of us that is stronger than any disability we feel like we are struggling with. Chances are everyone in this room feels that you are inadequate at a place in your life. And when it comes to serving the Lord, you probably struggle with a sense of inadequacy. In fact, how many of us have had opportunities presented to us over the years to serve the Lord and we've wanted to and we've sort of been inspired by it. Man, I like to do that and be used of God in this way, etc. And then we've looked inside our lives and said, well, I'm just inadequate. I can't do it for this reason. I can't do it for that reason. And the Spirit of God works in our lives to produce the fruit of faithfulness and it's the fruit of faithfulness that enables us to move forward even in our inadequacy. If you'll turn with me... We're going to look at two passages, first from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, where the Apostle Paul is speaking here about the fruits of the Spirit. And as we have seen, the fruits of the Spirit are those characteristics of what the Spirit of God produces in all of our lives. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are different. Not every believer has all the gifts of the Spirit. But the fruits of the Spirit are different. It is the intention of the Holy Spirit to produce each of these fruits in our lives. And as we walk in the fullness of the Spirit, these fruits are produced. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And now these have to do with our relationships with other people. Kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is the idea of being dependable, of being loyal. It means our, we, we say something we're going to carry through on it. It means that we live for what really matters in life. Being faithful means that I'm not living out of the emotions of the moment, I'm rather living out of a set of convictions in my life that the Spirit of God is producing in me, and it's out of those convictions that I make decisions, that I make choices, and that I live my life. Now, those convictions can be found primarily, of course, the entire Word of God, but they're crystallized in two areas, the Ten Commandments and the book of Proverbs. I've encouraged you to before, read a chapter of Proverbs every day. You'll get through it each month. And let God build His strength in His core set of convictions about living your life out of the book of Proverbs in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And as God does that in our lives, He forms within us and grows within us a set of convictions and a set of within ourselves this is how I'm going to live my life, this is what is important to me, this is what really matters in life. I'm discerning what really matters in life, what's really got value, and out of that I'm living my life, and out of that I'm relating to other people. Now, in our day and age, faithfulness is sort of falling on hard times because most of us want our, our condition in American cultural life to live out of the emotions of the moment. Faithfulness is not about being entertained. Faithfulness is not necessarily about having fun. It is about rather just staying at it day in and day out and living for an objective that is beyond the moment. It requires patience. It's not necessarily always stimulating. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It at times can even seem boring. But faithfulness means we stay at it the good days and the bad days my son is 25 years of age now but there were a whole lot of days between the time he was a baby and now that we just had to stay faithful at it as parents and they weren't necessarily exciting and thrilling and all that kind of stuff but you just have to stay at it and it pays off if you stay at it in parenting anything in life, it requires that faithfulness, that I have a core set of convictions based out of God's Word, and based on that core set of convictions, that's what I'm living out of. That's how I'm making my decisions. And if I don't do that, then what I end up with in life is just a whole lot of starts that never go much of anywhere. Now, I want you to look together with me at a gentleman in Scripture who lived that out. His name is Epaphroditus. I've often wondered what his mother thought about him by giving him a name with that many letters of the alphabet in it. Epaphroditus from Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 25. Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 25. And as you turn there, let me give you the background. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, a church that he was very close with, and he is writing from a Roman prison cell. And he's writing to the church at Philippi and encouraging them. And towards the end of this letter, he says to them, there's this guy that you sent to me, his name Epaphroditus. You know him. He's very beloved in the church. And you sent him for a specific purpose. You knew that I had a need. I was in jail and I was suffering. And you sent Epaphroditus to me to take care of me and to help me out. And folks, the first thing you see here between the relationship that Paul had with the church in Philippi is that when the church in Philippi knew that Paul had a need, they sent someone to the need. They did not just send an offering to him. They sent somebody to him. And you know, when you're lonely and when you're down and when you're going through a rough time, you need somebody in your life to help walk beside you and pick you up and and walk with you through the situation. It's not enough just to say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to walk beside you in this. And so the church of Philippi said, we want to encourage Paul. And the way we're going to encourage Paul is we're going to take one of our guys, named Epaphroditus. And we know this guy is faithful. We know this guy stays with it. We know this guy will go the distance. And we're going to send him with an offering to Rome to take care of Paul. And so Paul is now sending him back. And this is how he speaks of this guy, Epaphroditus. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 25. I have thought it necessary... To send to you Epaphroditus. Now, notice how he describes him my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you. The idea there is he's got a bad case of homesickness. He has been longing for you all, yearning for you. And he has been distressed. "'Because you heard that he was ill. "'Indeed he was ill, near to death. "'But God had mercy on him, "'and not only on him, but on me also, "'lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. "'I am the more eager to send him, therefore, "'that you may rejoice at seeing him again, "'and that I may be less anxious. "'So receive him in the Lord with all joy.' And honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, the picture that we get here from what Paul is saying is that Paul's in this Roman prison cell. The church at Philippi wants to encourage Paul, and so they send Epaphroditus. Apparently, in route to Rome, Epaphroditus gets sick. Now, back in those days, they did not have doctors and patient first and, you know, access to medical care like we've got in our facility in our country today. So often when you got sick, sickness could get pretty serious pretty quickly. And he gets sick, and his sickness progresses to the place that they're not sure whether he's going to live or not. But Epaphroditus is determined he's going to get to Rome and he's going to get to Paul. So apparently he arrives in Rome and Paul greets him. And Paul realizes almost immediately Epaphroditus is really sick. And Epaphroditus continues to get sicker and sicker until they're beginning to question, is he going to pull out of this? Is he going to make it or not? And Paul is looking at him and thinking, man, if I lose this guy, not only is the church at Philippi losing a great guy, but I'm going to be losing a close friend, and it is just going to be a horrible loss that I'm going to have, because Epaphroditus apparently became almost like a best friend to Paul. And he says, I'm just going to be grieving my heart out if this guy dies. But Paul also looks at him and realizes, this man was so committed to getting to me, and trying to help me out that he literally was willing to work through his illness and put his life on the line and take the risk of dying in order to get here and to be with me. And so this is how Paul describes him, and it's an example of faithfulness. And please, as we move through this, I want you to hear something. faithfulness is active. Faithfulness is about being engaged. Faithfulness is not saying, I just come and sit in my seat every week and then go home and I've been faithful to pull my time in my seat in the church. Notice what faithfulness means. First of all, Paul says, verse 25, he is my brother. That is the most basic relationship within the church. We are connected to each other. We are connected to each other based on a oneness in Christ. We share an identity with each other. He is my brother. When I look at Epaphroditus, what I see is someone that I am connected to strongly, vitally, and the reason I'm connected to him is because Jesus has connected him to me. We are both washed by the blood of Christ. We are both cleansed by the Lord Jesus. We share Jesus together. And folks, If you and I can get to the place in life of looking at each other and realizing that whether we agree with each other on everything or disagree with each other on a ton of stuff or whatever, the most basic aspect of who we are in the body of Christ is not that we're connected by how much we agree, but we are connected by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are family because we are connected by him and the main thing that I share with you and you share with me and you share with the other folks in this room is Jesus and you can't get any better than Jesus and we can't get any more than Jesus. And so he said, when I look at Epaphroditus I recognize that he's my brother, we're in the same family and we are connected to each other. I have a sister who's four years younger than I am and Beth and I are connected to each other because we're family. Now, that doesn't mean that we've always gotten along with each other. In fact, when we were younger, she and I wrote the book on how brothers and sisters did not, do not get along with each other. And we had a fight one time, and I told her that if she ever came to visit me when I got older and had a family, I was going to chase her off the front porch with a shotgun. And... <laughs> She promptly informed me that I didn't have to worry about that because she was never coming to visit me in the first place. So I could just keep my shotgun back in the house and didn't have to use it on her. I remember one day we got in such an argument. My mother, uh, in utter frustration, said, you make me feel like a failure as a parent, the way the two of you all argue with each other all of the time. We could get into it. One of the funniest fights we ever got into was over who was going to do the laundry. And... uh, I had a bunch of laundry in the bedroom, and I picked it up, and I went over, and I set it down in her bedroom, and then she picked it up and brought it back and set it down in my bedroom, and then we began to throw laundry back and forth. And if you could have seen the underwear and everything else flying between our two bedrooms over who was going to do that laundry, but the the bottom thing was regardless of how much we fought with each other, at the end of the day, we were brother and sister. And I remember when she was in high school, some guy at the school uh, made a comment to her that I thought was very inappropriate. And so uh, being the wonderful, devout Christian that I am, an aspiring minister to the gospel, I told her to go back to school and tell the young man that if he ever said anything like that to her again, his brother was coming to school and knocking every tooth in his head down his throat. And uh, of course, I would only do that in Christian love, of course. But uh, anyway, it was that sense of being connected to her. Paul says, he's my brother. We are connected to each other. We are in the family. Then he says, "Paphroditus, he's my fellow worker. We're shoulder to shoulder. We share the load together. When one of us is weak, the other guy is strong and vice versa. We work together. We don't just sit together. We are in this together. We work together. And he makes up for my inadequacy. I make up for his inadequacy. One of the reasons I love to take teams on mission trips like we did a few weeks ago is when we get out there we get real in touch very quickly with how much we gotta lean on each other in order to get the job done we intentionally take on projects that one person can't do by themselves that are going to overwhelm each of us but if we pull together we work together and we lean on each other rely on each other together We can get it done. And when he says that Epaphroditus is my fellow worker, that's the idea. We're in God's work together, but we can't do it by ourselves. We have to lean on each other. We have to rely on each other. And one guy's strength makes up for the other guy's weakness, et cetera. And when you do that, there's a bond that's built there. And that's what he's saying here. Next, he says he's my fellow soldier. And that is, I believe, the idea that Perhaps a two-fold idea, but the first is we faced a common danger together. Paul was being held in a Roman prison cell at this time on a capital charge. If you walked into that cell, and he would have had been guarded by what was called the Praetorium Guard, which was the elite guard in Rome. If, Paul, if you walked into that cell and you identified yourself as a friend of Paul, it was a very, like, very high likelihood that you could be arrested yourself and in prison with Paul because he was in so much trouble. So when Epaphroditus comes into the cell... And he says to Paul, you're my friend and I'm going to be here day in and day out to take care of you. And when those Roman guards sit there and watch this guy Epaphroditus come in day after day after day and they watch him bringing food to Paul and clothing to Paul and praying with Paul and taking care of Paul, they very easily could have said, you're a friend of Paul so we're going to arrest you. And Epaphroditus understood he was laying his life on the line by coming to Paul and taking care of Paul in prison. And that's one of the reasons he says he's my fellow soldier. He's gone into battle with me, and he's faced the same issues and the same problems, and he's been willing to get in trouble with me. He's been willing to take fire with me. In fact, he's been willing to take fire he didn't have to take because he feels that connected to me. The second idea I've got a feeling he's got it when he sees he's my fellow soldiers. When I was pastoring in Virginia Beach, my congregation, there was about 75% active duty or retired Navy. And one of the things I discovered when I would talk with those guys is they always were very clear on what the mission of their ship was and what their own individual mission was on the ship. And they would tell me, This is the ship I'm on, this is our specific mission, this is what we're about, this is what we do. And then they would tell you, this is what my mission is. This is what I am expected to do. And I always noticed that there was tremendous clarity and specificity as to the mission of the ship and to their mission. Part of the reason for that is it's deadly to be in a war zone, and you don't have a clue as to what you're supposed to be doing and why you're there and what your mission is. And when he says here, you're my fellow soldier, I think he was saying, Epaphroditus and I know what our mission is. We know what God's got us in the battle for. We know what we're supposed to be accomplishing. And we're about that together. And folks, so often the reason that we struggle with working together is we don't understand what the mission is. And the mission for the church is simply this, to honor and to glorify Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we're about. No matter what we do, ultimately it is to honor and to glorify Jesus and to get the word out about Him. Next he says... He's your messenger. You've been sent, he was sent to take care of me. Now, in our culture today, if you go to jail, it's the responsibility of the state to feed you, to clothe you, to take care of you. That was not the case in the Roman prisons of that day. If you went to jail, all they had to provide you with was a guard and a jail cell. They didn't have to give you any food, any clothing, etc. So if you didn't have relatives or friends who came to visit you and brought you food, you could literally starve to death in a Roman jail. So when he says he is your messenger, he's saying, Epaphroditus came here, he's your messenger, he's brought me food, he's brought me clothing, he's helped me get through this. He says he's the minister to my need. And the idea of the need there is that Paul had an important work to do and Epaphroditus was coming alongside using what he had to help take care of that need. Notice what he says in verse 29. Honor such men. The word honor there means they're precious, they're prized. prize. Honor them. Now, I don't want you to miss verse 30. Notice what he says about Epaphroditus, verse 30. He nearly died for the work of Christ key verb here, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Risking his life. The word that's translated risking there was a term in that day and age that was a gambling term. It referred to the turning of, of dice. And he's essentially saying Epaphroditus roll the dice when he came to see me. He risked it all. He risked it all because he got sick, and he just kept on and came to me and hung out with me, and he could have died, but he was determined he was going to get to me. He risked it in the sense that he came into that prison cell day after day after day knowing that he could be arrested and could be prosecuted and could even lose his life for being identified with me, but he was willing to gamble with everything in order to stay faithful. Folks, when our Christianity ceases to be risky, we do not have the spiritual fruit of faithfulness anymore. And American Christianity abhors risk. I'm going to say that again. American Christianity abhors risk. We have become conditioned that it is God's job to remove all the risk from our walk with Him. He's supposed to provide for us He's supposed to take care of us. He's supposed to meet every need. He's supposed to comfort us all the time. God's always supposed to be standing right there, ready to jump into our situation no matter what and take care of us. Because that's God's job. Well, if that's God's job, then I don't have any risk involved in anything because God's supposed to jump in there and take care of my need immediately, and I'm supposed to even know how God's going to jump in there and take care of the need immediately. And if there's no risk involved, I don't have to lay anything on the line for serving the Lord, because I mean, he's just going to jump in there and take care of it, etc. But faithfulness means the exact opposite. Faithfulness means I get out there and I serve the Lord, and there's going to be risk. I'm going to take a gamble. I don't, I'm not guaranteed how things are going to turn out all the time. I'm going to give you a little bit of my thunder for the sermon this afternoon, all right? In Daniel chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand before King Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, I'm going to throw you into the burning fiery furnace because you are serving the Lord God and you will not relent. Those three young men say something very interesting to Nebuchadnezzar. They say, our God can deliver us. But if he chooses not to, we're still going to serve him. In other words, if they throw us into the fiery furnace and we burn up, so be it, but we are going to serve the Lord no matter what. And how many times in American Christianity do we rather say, I will serve Him as long as I know that deliverance is guaranteed, the way I want deliverance. He risked His life. And folks, when our Christianity loses risk, We don't really have genuine Christianity anymore. We've got fake Christianity. And God periodically is going to come to us and say, I'm calling you to be something, and I'm calling you to do something, and it's risky. And the outcome is not assured. And it's going to be tough. Are you willing to take the risk? Because if you are, I'm producing the spiritual fruit of faithfulness in you. Allow me to speak, if I might be so bold to some of you. Some of you know what it is right now in your life to be a single parent and to raise a child or children as a single parent to love the Lord and serve the Lord and follow the Lord. And that's risky and that's tough. One of the phenomenon that we saw in South Norfolk and it's happening across the country is grandparents who are becoming parents again. And that's risky business. Taking a risk to almost start life all over again. Some of you on your jobs, you know that if people know that you're a Christian it's going to be risky. You might lose your job. You may never get the promotion that you would hope for with the salary that comes with it. Some of you young people know that if your colleagues on the football team or wherever at school know that, that you're a follower of Jesus, you may be ostracized and poked fun at. As a church... We are deliberately taking some risk into some of the neighborhoods that we've been going into this summer. They're not the safest neighborhoods that you could find to share the gospel. Following Jesus is risky business. And as he produces faithfulness in us, we're going to find ourselves challenged to take greater risk because that's what following him is all about. So when He produces that fruit of faithfulness in us, it means He's going to produce within us the willingness to take the risk. But let me assure you that what's on the other side of the risk is worth whatever the risk demands of us. Let's pray. Lord, You have not directed us to a faith that is easy, that is comfortable, nor one where you stand there ready to jump at every need we have to alleviate struggle and risk. You rather, Lord, call us to a faith that we have to take risk. That from our vantage point, the outcome is not necessarily determined or guaranteed. We have to leave it up to you. Lord, help us to be willing to do that. Father, when I watched Michael the other week, I saw a young man who was willing to take the risk of potentially falling on that field. To take the risk of not being able to participate with his own age group, to take the risk of potentially even being, Lord, ostracized or left sort of alone. But he came anyway, and he participated anyway. God, help us, regardless of how in much inadequacy we may feel like we've got, to say, I'm going into God's field. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to be who God's called me to be. And I'm going to take the risk. And I'm going to walk in faith. And I'm just going to trust the Lord. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to take the risk of giving your life to Jesus Christ and choosing to follow Him, then I want to invite you in just a moment as we sing to walk the aisle here and say, I'm willing to take that risk to follow Jesus. If the Lord's calling you to be a part of our church family here and to serve alongside of us, as Paul said, as a fellow worker, then I invite you to come. And if you just need to come and pray around the front here, feel free. Lord, in these moments now, may we respond to you. And if you are calling us at anywhere in our lives, God, to take a risk for you, may we say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.